7.05, and I am out of breath already. That's how <laughs> hectic of an ira on sports we're going to have for you tonight, 95.9. The True Oldies Channel, Mike and Sean, we're going to be here as well. Amazing show on tap for you today. Florida Panthers All-Star Center, Vincent Trocek, joins us at just about 7.15. Also, head coach of Colgate Men's and Women's Tennis, Bob Pennington, good friend of ira on sports. He's going to pop by a little bit past 7.30 to talk about Everything going on at the U.S. Open, and what's up with Serena Williams? Because it's kind of uh, interesting. And Ira, I know you've got plenty to talk about about that. But first and foremost, Ira, where have you been? You're all decked out in the black and gold. But I'm not at a Steeler game. But I was at I was at eight uh, sessions of the U.S. Eight days of the U.S. Open over the last two weeks. But I was there four days last week at the U.S. Open. I was at the Pitt Penn State game on Saturday night. You know, you last week we're doing the show, and you're hurrying up to get out of there so you can go see Federer. And Federer didn't get the results he was looking for. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Like I said, though, we don't have that much time because Vincent Trocek will join us in about eight minutes. Let's get into the NCAA. Ira, the game you were at, PSU versus Pitt. This one was never close. 51-6. to Tell us about it. Well, 99th game in the series. Um, they'll play one more time last year for the 100th game and probably never play. It's a tremendous rivalry, one of the biggest rivalries in all of college football. Um, we, uh, KJ Hamler for the Penn State, he's from ID, um, the Braden, Bradenton IMG, and he's been out for two years with injuries. He's a redshirt freshman, didn't even play a senior. He's the fastest Penn State player I've ever seen. Really? They handed him the ball, and he just literally for 30 yards went for a touchdown. He, if I was Penn State, I'd give him the ball every time. He's unstoppable, the quickest guy. Penn State goes up 7-6. Pitt goes down, score. Pitt scores. They miss, they miss an extra point. Then the key play in the game is it's 7-6 Penn State. It's fourth and four on the Penn State, on the, on the four-yard line for Penn State. And Pitt decides to go for it on fourth and four, fourth and goal to go, really. They really need to. It's a kick and field goal. They don't get it. Then suddenly Penn State goes, and they finish this, the half 14-6. And then in the second half, I mean, they score 37 points in the second half, go win 51-6. to wasn't close at all. Um, it, uh, the the pit was 14 penalties for 116 yards, three turnovers, missed field goals, botched holds on the on, on point afters. It was absolutely a horrendous performance by Pitt. I'm not going to say Penn State. Penn State played well. They took advantage. But they really just, as people said, they got out of the way from Pitt wanting to lose the game. Do um, you want to talk a little bit about the actual, you know, I'm surprised to see there was 51 points scored from the offense with the weather. And this was a big yeah. factor with you even being there. You had to change your tickets up. I mean, it's well, interesting. It was hard. I had a row B in the club. I like sitting in the club in Pittsburgh. And then I had to move back 10 rows. So I had to sell my tickets on stub up because I didn't know it was going to rain during the game. This game there was about 60,000 people when the game started. I have been to so many pro football, hundreds and hundreds of football games. I've never seen at the end of the game, there was nobody in the stands. The pit band played their fight song at the end of the game and there was nobody there to play. They had all left. <laughs> because it was such a blowout. And then Penn State did run the score up a little bit, but I think this is, in essence, what college football is now. People do look at the scores, and uh, they kept Tracy McSorley, the quarterback, in all the way till seven minutes to go in the game, and even their backup quarterback threw a 46-yard pass with a minute to go, and they challenged with a 30 seconds to go the turnover. They had a ton- So they're up 51-6, and, Frank- and Coach Franklin is challenging a turnover. So. You know what? Can you blame guys, especially teams like Penn State that are in the national championship hunt for running up scores, especially with a tight game last week to App State, um, these are things like, well, it's going to look better if we're blowing out Pitt. Winning 31-6 to is one thing, but a 51-6 to is a lot bigger, Ira, and I don't blame big schools like this for running up scores against the, the teams you're supposed to beat. I thought it was going to be a bigger story than it was. It wasn't, and I think the reason it's not is because yeah. people realize that it goes on. So it's not like it used to be. I mean, you're not going to see these other teams, but I, but it's like you want to see the score. That's all. Nobody watches every one of the games. They just see the score. The score looks good. 51-6, that's all yeah. that matters. Sean, you, are, you were really high on Penn State this year. What did you see in this game? Yeah, I mean, 
mean, the weather obviously played a factor. Trace McSorley didn't play, uh, you know, that well. He was throwing for under 200 yards. But as Ira pointed out, I mean, the conditions were really bad. I think what this comes down to is showing Miles Sanders, uh, you know, what he can be, um, you know, rushing for 118 yards on 16 carries, average 17.4 on the ground uh, uh, per touch. This defense can be elite. Um, the D-line looks great. The linebackers look great. They have great corners. This is what Penn State needed to do after the, the scare that they got from Appalachian State, um, you know, week one where they, they almost lost that game uh, to a 1AA to a team. So um, to come out, to go against a rival, this team, this Pittsburgh team, you know, hasn't been, you know, ha- hasn't been ranked in a little bit, uh, won this game two years ago in 2016. That's with Saquon Barkley there. So statement game uh, for Penn State to come out, win in the fashion that they did, pound the ball, play good defense. I thought overall um, it, it was a good win and Penn State's heading in, in the right direction. I think in the Big Ten right now, Penn State, the way they're slated with that offense, the way they're able to run the ball in the defense, this is a team that can compete with Ohio State, that can definitely compete with Michigan. Um, so, you know, at the end of the year, with Trace McSorley only going to get better, making that transformation from Saquon Barkley's team to McSorley's team, I fully expect to see Penn State in the conversation for college football playoff this year. Ira, this is probably the game of the week, and the score dictated it. It was Clemson versus Texas A&M, 28-26. Clemson won this one. Clemson was the number two team coming in. Should this have been a little bigger gap here, I? Well, I think, Jim, it shows that they maybe made the right hire. I know it's a yeah. loss, but bringing Jimbo Fisher in, the excitement at Texas A&M, and unlike some of these other big games where they were sort of blowouts of the LSU-Miami game the previous week, this one, Texas A&M came to play. I mean, they were, yeah. they were a 10-point underdog. They came in. They played well. And I was watching the game on my phone because you could actually it was good to get in, and, it was, and they scored. It was weird. Uh, Texas A&M came down. They scored a touchdown with about a minute and a half, two minutes to go, but as they were scoring – that the worst thing you possibly do is to reach the ball over the end line. It fumbled out of the end zone, so it was a touchback. Oh, wow. So instead of being out the one-yard line, it was a touchback. And then Clemson doesn't move the ball again, kicks it to Texas A&M. Texas A&M drives down again, scores a, another touchdown, and just misses a two-point conversion. Two things I learned from this game, Texas A&M, probably a little better than people thought they were coming yeah, this year. This sure. is going to be a faster turnaround as opposed to UCLA that looks like yeah. you're never going to turn that around. <laughs> so it looks like a fast turnaround for Texas A&M. But Clemson, their defense was supposed to be yes. NFL-worthy, yes. and they did not look very good at the end of the game, and their offense sputtered when they needed to score. Um, I was not, so it was not a very – I know they're on the road. They said, we got our victory. We got it. But they didn't really look good at the end of the game there. Seven twelve. it's Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. We've got Mike and Sean here as well, and we have Vincent Trocek, star center for the the Florida Panthers. He'll be on in just about three minutes. Uh, final college game we're going to touch on this week. It's Kentucky versus Florida. Ira and Sean's a UF fan, so we'll get to him in a second. But <laughs> Kentucky beat them pretty handily, 27-16. to 16. Um, first win since 1986. Thanks. Really? Uh, yeah, so Florida was talking. The longest win streak in, in sports right now. Well, not anymore. <laughs> well, and uh, but Kentucky, this is a good win. Every year you're hearing about what Kentucky's going to do, what what they're there. Yeah. And I I knew a player, Lynn Bowden, who was recruited by almost all the top schools. and decided over Kentucky over a lot of the big name schools, including Penn State. And it was surprising that he went there. And he had he played last week year as a freshman. This year he had he's a wide receiver. He had four catches for sixty yards and a forty four yard touchdown return or touchdown catch. It was an amazing catch. But it was a yeah. great win for Kentucky. A horrendous win for. Florida. Florida, and uh, it's, it shows, I think, the SEC East. If you're a Georgia fan, you're like, wow, this is great. I'm not going to really walk. have – Florida's not going to be much competition They're the, for us. Um, <laughs> I'm a Giants fan. You guys are going to love this. So, obviously, this is one of those weeks we have early NF, uh, Monday night football game actions. Detroit and the Jets are underway. How do you think Sam Darnold's first NFL pass went? Pick six. 
picked to the house. Nice. Uh, Quandre Diggs <laughs> of the Detroit Lions took Darnold, the future of NFL quarterbacks, right back to the house. He'll get another try here in just a few seconds. But yeah, 20 seconds into that game, and it's 7 nothing. Sean, you are the resident uh, UF Florida Gators fan. W- what do you think about this Listen, team? Listen, Florida's just not good. I know they have talent. Uh, they're always going to have talent. They're UF. Um, but it's more on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, Felipe Franks is I mean, he's a bum. He looks scared every single time he steps back in the pocket. He stares down receivers. Uh, leads to a ton of interceptions. You know, at the end of the day, though, I don't think this is so much about Florida, right? I think this is a testament to Mark Stoops and the talent that he's bringing to Kentucky. I would just touch on one young man that came over there, had a litany of schools he could go to. He decided to go to Tuck- uh, Kentucky. Benny Snell is an All-American running back. I mean, he's going to be picked, you know, day one or day two of the NFL draft that's coming up. Um, you know, really stinks for UF fans, uh, you know, that this is the state of the program. But until Florida finds a quarterback, you know, we're going to be, I mean, they will be a sub to just over 500 team. I mean, that that's where we are right now with this program. Ira, do you think that there's you know hope for this team, Florida? Or you, it's like already a lost season here after the loss to Kentucky? Well, so we had the week from Miami again losing to LSU. Florida State, most of the game is losing to Stanford. <laughs> and then we have and then we have Florida losing to Kentucky. It's not very good for South for, for no. Florida teams um, that had coaching changes. But, I mean, I think, look, Dan Mullen is a very good coach. Yeah. Uh, they, he's a reason why everybody wanted him. Everybody he did a great job for Mississippi State. And I think just got to give him time again. But I, I don't think Florida fans, I think they're tired of giving Muschamp time. I think they're tired of giving everybody time. Like, they want Jimbo Fisher. They want someone who's going to mm-hmm. come in like they want an urban meyer that's one reason why urban yeah. meyer wasn't fired <laughs> there's so few coaches that can just walk into a program and say okay we saw what was going on before we're going to be great now you know it's interesting that's what a lot of people in uh, at, in texas are saying like jimbo fisher is making this team look completely different yeah uh, you know it's only been two games but the offense is more exciting and it's just the, the kind of team that you want when you make him a super highly paid coach and recruit him away from a Florida State. Sean, what about you? What were you going to say? No, no, I, I think Dan Mullen will definitely turn the program around. Um, you're you're kind of looking at, you know, Florida State's having a down year. How many kids are going to want to go there? Um, you know, even UM. I mean, it's, it's you know, there's a lot of local kids that are going there. The talent's there, but, uh, you know, you saw the loss to LSU. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you, you go to a team like UF, you want to play in the SEC. Um, you know, those are where you're going to go up against the Georgias. But, but as of right now, until Dan Mullen gets to year two, year three, and gets to implement his guys. I mean, that's what you always hear about. My guys, our guys. Um, so we have a lot of McIlwain leftovers. Um, didn't recruit that well on the offensive side of the ball. One thing that Dan Mullen did extremely well at Mississippi State, got them to number one in the land uh, with Dak Prescott. Nick Fitzgerald looked very good. So um, only time will tell, but you got to give Dan Mullen a year or two to kind of fix the mess that McIlwain left. Let's just, um, as we're waiting on uh, to get Vincent Trochik on the line, Sean, you think Clemson will drop it off from that number two rating with a really close game like this? Oh, I, I 100% do, and I'm happy I got to touch on this, all right? Kellen Mond, right, the, the, the quarterback, played unbelievable. 430 yards for a Texas A&M, 33 on the ground. I mean, that's the story. But to me, the story is Clemson's defense. I brought this up. You have all four of their linemen will get drafted in the first round. They have one cornerback that's going to get drafted in the first round. You have five players that could potentially be drafted, day one picks, in the NFL draft, and you give up 500 yards to pretty much an an unknown name quarterback at Texas A&M. I mean, the big, the biggest threat to them in the ACC is Miami. They don't play them at all this year unless both teams, if both teams end up in the ACC championship game. And the way Miami's looked so far, that that's not even a, a foregone conclusion. They don't look. 
um, at all the team that we've seen go to three college playoffs in a row, uh, two out of the last three national championships, won one of them. Out of the Power Five conferences, Clemson has, has I mean, it's a cakewalk to the college football playoffs. So the fact that Texas A&M can go in and do this to that defense. I, I'm not so so much surprised that Clemson didn't put up a ton of offense, but to to give up 500 yards to one player, yeah, I mean that's so that defense. is absolutely not typical of of Clemson defense. I mean Alabama didn't even get that many yards on them in the two national championships games. So so to see that with the the talent that they have on the defensive side of the ball, kind of just a complete shock, and it's kind of like whoa, you know, is this really the same team going in that we've seen out of them for the last two to three years? So so, so Dabo Sweeney there and the and the Clemson Tigers, you know, kind of have to take a step back. And this week's going to be very vital uh, going into their next matchup. Sam Darnold is going to have a pass incomplete to the right to Quincy Anunma. It's going to be third down, uh, third down and six now as the uh, Jets have the ball on their own thirty. Not looking so good to start uh, Sam Darnold's tenure as a New York Jet. Seven eighteen, Ira on Sports ninety five nine True Oldies Channel. Ira, you want to hop into tennis? You want to go to the NFL while we're waiting on Vincent Trocheck? Let's do tennis right now. We we talked about it earlier. You were. You know, we were flying out of here last week. You had to get down to the U.S. Open to see Roger Federer, and you thought this was going to be a great game, and it ended up being a great game if you're not Roger Federer. Huge upset. Well, the one thing that people you heard about talk about the heat, and the heat was really oh, bad, and I sat in the heat. And the heat was worse at night. And I know we're in South Florida. We're sort of used to understanding humidity. Yeah. But they have a, they put a roof on the stadium. It used to be you go to the, the stadium. It was winds were blowing well, around. Yep. Everything was uh, hot dog wrappers were all over the place. <laughs> if you see old Shea Stadium, remember Shea Stadium? Yeah, of course. It, oh, like, yeah. you, there was more junk on the field than, than wrappers mm-hmm. and everything. Than, than you couldn't see the field. And that's what, that's what Arthur Ashe Stadium was. It was very windy. But when they put a roof on, they didn't put the roof on the whole way. It's more of a cowboy stadium roof. So it covers like 70% and then they close it when it rains. But by doing that it just keeps all there's no wind there's no ventilation and it just makes it so hot and during the day it's sunny but at night it gets so humid and that match it was the hottest match I've ever sat in it, it felt like I was in the, in a jungle really. did a lot of fans stick it out I think fans took it out but Federer was having a lot of trouble and Millman the guy he played is from Brisbane Australia where it's very humid so he was used to this type and he's a journeyman player he's been 29 years old been doing this a while ranked top 40 in the world but still it was a huge upset it was the first time Federer lost to somebody outside who was 40-0 and 0 against players outside the top 50 in wow. the U.S. Open. So he finally lost his match. But he lost 6-3, 5-4. Um, uh, he won the first at 6-3, was up 5-4 in the second, and serving actually for the set, two set points, lost those set points, and then Millman then won the second set, then it was 7-6 in the third and 7-6 in the fourth. But uh, Federer couldn't serve. I mean, it, it, it was mostly his, his first serve percentage was under 50%, double faults, he had 10 double faults, and it was not a, it was a bad situation for him. You had mentioned to me last week that he's kind of playing playing it like uh, ping pong at this point where he can just kind of outplay guys not it doesn't need the power game and, he, and he'll you know use his skill and knowledge of tennis in general and maybe getting guys off balance to take advantage I guess that he just couldn't get that going um, and I think it was the heat and Mil- Milman Milman was uh, this was <laughs> this was his Super Bowl of all Super Bowls all rolled to one very exciting got the crowd into it and I just think that he got to Roger I, people said always oh, it shows that he's getting old it was very hot. It was the hottest night. It was the hottest night of the whole tournament and the hottest day. So I'm not. I think Roger will be back. I don't say he's too old. It was just a weird situation. All of our friends in the Northeast were complaining about the heat. And you know, we're in Florida. It's a nice, crisp 89, but it was like 93, 94 yeah. there. And then once, yeah, once that humidity kicks in, and they're not 
properly ventilated or set up to be like we are down here where everything's air conditioned. Well, they could have air conditioned. The worst thing is what they should think about doing in the future is closing the roof and air conditioning. They have air conditioning. So like when you saw the final yesterday, those the roof, it was raining. So the roof was closed. Air conditioning was on. Ventilation was going on. I have no idea why they had to play yeah. in those conditions. That makes no idea, no sense to me. Um, how do our other American men or how did the American men do and the American women? Well, Isner, I watched that match when John Isner lost a fairly close match to Del Poto, who was in the finals. And it's sort of boring because both were serving back and forth. It was four sets. Del Poto ended up winning. Um, it was a great run. He made it to quarterfinals. It was good for that. Um, Sloane Stevens on the women's side, Stevens, who was the defending champion, she lost in like 55 minutes to the Sevastova. Uh, it was not even a close match at all. She seemed to be bothered by the heat again. It was a day match. The sun, she did not play well. And then um, Osaka, who won, beat Keys in the semifinals. So, and again, not that close of a match. I saw all these matches and they weren't, that wasn't, that wasn't one of the great matches. Let's talk about one that was great. You know, Ira, I'll never forget James Blake versus Andre Agassi, like 20 something years ago. One of the, probably the best tennis match I've ever seen. I don't watch nearly as much tennis as you, but you think that Rafa Nadal versus this guy, Theme, I've never even heard of, might've been one of the best matches you've ever seen. Theme is a good young player from Austria. He made it to the finals of the French. People have heard about him. I thought Nadal was going to crush him. Um, this guy can play. I mean, he the, he arrived at this match, and it was. And I like when you see a team playing. You see in any sport, and one team's a heavy favorite over another, and it's like, wow, they score a touchdown or two touchdowns. He six zero. It was called a bagel in tennis. He bageled Nadal in the first set. Uh, it, it, at one point, I think it was twenty. He won twenty five to eight. He had twenty five points to Nadal's eight. That's wow. impossible. He's number one in the world, Rafa Nadal. <laughs> and it's it, impossible. It was unbelievable. And he hit the ball. He sort of. And what he did is said he out. Rafa Nadal Nadal he played exactly how Nadal played he got every shot he went for winners he did angles they played very similar the points were tremendous one amazing shot after another they were utilizing the court they were not you just they didn't miss it was really not mistakes it was who can hit the best shot and they were pounding the ball each hitting it around 90 miles an hour uh, it was super exciting to watch it was the, by far the best match of the tournament it went five hours <laughs> and uh, what was weird about it is theme went down 06-64-75 so he's down two sets to one you're thinking okay He's down two sets to one. It's over. He came back and battled back and won the fourth set, seven six. And then they went to the fifth set. Okay, fifth set. This is going to be Nadal set. <laughs> he's won a million of these, and he, he had his chances and was back and forth, back and forth. It went to the tiebreaker, and then at five five of the tiebreaker, um, uh, Nadal hit an overhead. It was a great point. He was running all around. These are the points where it's like one hit, lobs it over his head. The other guy runs back, makes a shot. The other, you know, they're back and forth on the corners. They're playing in the stands. You, it was it was it was a video game. It wasn't really. <laughs> <laughs> and it was 5-5, five, five, then 6-5, and then finally Theme made a mistake at 6-5 in the fifth. But you can't say he lost this. It was, a, it was the best match I've ever seen. That's amazing. And lucky, you know, you were, you were there. Yeah. <laughs> you got to see it. Um, a lot of talk about Serena Williams this week, uh, but she did defeat Osaka in the women's final. But this is a little controversy. Who's lost to Osaka? I'm sorry, lost. This is a controversy around this, though, obviously. Um, huge amount of controversy. Um, <laughs> first of all, it was... The first set was over in like 25 minutes. Osaka won. People have to remember, it wasn't like they just defaulted her. She was leading this match. She was going to lose this match. Osaka was the better player. Osaka's been the best player the entire tournament. She she has only lost one set the entire tournament. Out of the three of the six matches, she, she she won them in 50 minutes. I mean, she was in and out, winning these matches, 6-1, 6-1, and it was just a dominating performance. 
Um, why don't we just uh, get through the Joker real quick? Uh, Djokovic, he beats Del Potro. He'd be- He's had kind of like a what if career, right, Ira? What Del Potro has? Del Potro. Had, yes, yeah. Because yeah. in 2009 he won the title over Federer, and then nine years later he's had injuries. He hurt. He had surgeries to both his wrists, and uh, he made it to the finals. And ton, everyone loves him. The players love him. The fans, yeah. great support from Argentina. They flew up from Argentina. There's so a lot of Argentinians in New York itself. Uh, and Djokovic didn't like that. Djokovic was trying to get his fans. <laughs> Rallying, he said, "Where's my serve fans? We get them louder." And uh, as expected, Djokovic was not. This is how great a player is. He wasn't on his A game, and he still wins the U.S. Open. And he won Wimbledon, and he came back from all these injuries. Um, I said when the year started, "I'm like, who could have a better year, Tiger or Djokovic?" Because both were like, they might not ever play again. Yeah. And they both ended up having. We'll talk about Tiger a little later. They both had. It was a great victory. Now he's won 14 majors. Nadal's at 17. Federer's at 20. He's won two of the majors. He's Player of the Year. He's now ranked third in the world. Um, and we'll get back. We're going to talk to Vincent, and then we'll get back to talk about the Serena match. We will be on that in just a moment. It's 726 Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. It's time to bring in Vincent Trocek, all-star center of the Florida Panthers. Vincent, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on, on Ira on Sports. I got to tell you, I'm a huge hockey fan. It's, it's my sport. I'm a Ranger fan first and foremost, but when I moved a decade ago to Florida, I fell in love with these Florida Panthers, and I'm expecting big things out of you guys this year. How are you thinking? Yeah, thank, well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, I think this team that we have this year is is a pretty special team. I think we saw at the end of the year last year, the last half of the season, what we were capable of. And then um, we made a few adjustments in the off season and, and picked up a few key, key pieces to the puzzle. And I think uh, going forward here this season, if we can just build off of uh, the second half of last season, we should be good. You know, Vincent, that was what I was going to ask you. Uh, Troy Brower is, is a sneaky good signing by Dale Talon. Adds some good veteran depth. This guy's been underrated everywhere he's gone in his career. You think he's going to just fit in perfectly here with uh, you, you young guys? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's definitely got a lot of experience. He's won a Stanley Cup before in Chicago. So uh, anytime you can have a guy with that kind of experience, that kind of playoff experience with a team that's as young as us, um, he definitely adds to to the locker room a little bit. And then on the ice, he's obviously proven himself. He can play a two-way game. He can play in pretty much any posi- any situation. So uh, definitely a good sign. It's interesting, you know. You talk about young, you know, being a young team. You're 25, and you're already like one of the veterans, <laughs> you know, <laughs> assistant captain. And you're 25 years old. Other teams, you know, it takes a lot longer to get there. You play phenomenal, though. Can you give me any kind of expectations of what you think the starting lines will be this year? And just personally, who do you enjoy playing alongside the most? Uh, I think we we kind of established a little bit of a top six at least at the end of last year. I think. Barkov, Bustad, Dadanov, they kind of solidified themselves as the first line, and, and me and Huberto uh, started playing playing together consistently probably the last 25 games last year. So uh, going into this year, I think those five will be, be in place, and then adding the addition of Hoffman, I think uh, he should slide in on my right wing. He'll play left wing, and Huber will play the off wing, but uh, I think that is a solidified top six, and then after that, <laughs> um, depending on what some of the young guys coming in can can prove at camp, it'll kind of go from there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but there's got to be somebody that you just have that chemistry on the ice with. Being a center is tough, and, you know, you've got to depend on your wings just as much as they need to depend on you. Who really just sees eye-to-eye with you on the ice? I think me and Hubie have gotten uh, pretty pretty close with each other on and off the ice, and I think that helps the chemistry on the ice. Um, obviously, he makes it a little easier for me to play. The game, he's got great vision. He's an 
outstanding playmaker, so uh, he makes my job a little bit easier. No, absolutely he does. You know, I, I was really depressed, um, you know, with, with the addition of Vegas because uh, we lost a, a couple of guys that I, I, I thought you loved playing with. And, you know, I, I was happy for them to go on and, you know, get to the Stanley Cup. What was your take on an expansion team, you know, being inches away from taking it all? Yeah, I thought it was crazy. They obviously <laughs> proved everybody wrong last year. Um, it was just a bunch of guys that were uh, solid, hardworking Obviously, had a little bit of skill uh, in all in one team, and I think when you put a, together a group like that, that all has something to prove, all is a bunch of hardworking guys. It, it makes it a tough team to play against. And obviously, Flurry in that doesn't hunt. One of the best goalies <laughs> in the league. He he uh, he he was stolen, stealing some games there in the playoffs. No, absolutely he did. It's 7.30. We're talking to Vincent Trocek Center for the Florida Panthers. It's Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. Dale Talon's done a great job. This franchise is loaded with young talent, and every year a new youngster takes the step forward into stardom. Uh, you know, you were on just a few years ago. Who do you think's the guy this year who's going to become a household name out of the young crew here on the Panthers? Um... I think Matheson is is definitely a kid that can. I mean, he's already showed that he's got the talent and he's got the skill to to be a high end defenseman in this league. And he, um, I think, this year could be a breakout year for him. He he's obviously had more experience now playing the last couple of years. Um, and with that experience, I think uh, a little bit more intelligence comes to your game. You, you gain a little bit of hockey IQ and. And for him, I think he's got to go a long way this year. What about um, Evgeny Dadnov? I mean, this was a guy. Me included. You always look at a uh, young kid coming over from Russia. I'm a little skeptical of this, but Dadnov really came in and showed me that this guy is ready to go in the NHL at such a young age. Yeah, well, he, he's actually, what is he, 28, 29 years old? He, he's been around for, for a while. I mean, he was here for a little bit earlier on in his career. He, he proved that he could do it over in the KHL, and then coming back, um, obviously Dale saw something in him that, uh, he thought could translate back over to the NHL, and, and it obviously worked out last year. Hey, Vincent, it's Sean here. Uh, you touched on earlier before, um, you know, how you guys finished so well, uh, you know, the second half of the year. You actually tied uh, the Predators with 52 points, the most points uh, after the All-Star break. I know there's, you know, not no such thing, uh, you know, as moral victories, but, you know, exactly what, is that, what does that feel like? You know, going in where you're seeing even the Predators kind of go into the playoffs, have been a team, and knowing that at the second half of that year, you guys were arguably the best team, uh, you know, in, in the league for that second half. You know, how does that translate into this year? How does that, you know, what's the prep that goes into that, you know, thinking that, hey, we can we can do this and we can play at the highest level in this league? Yeah, it's just that. I mean, knowing that we, we did have the, the best record in the league the second half, I think all that does is give us a little bit more confidence and, and help us realize that we are capable of doing that. Um, and obviously the second half of the season, everybody's in desperation mode. It's, it's even tougher to win games. So the fact that we did late down the stretch, we were beating teams that were ahead of us in the Atlantic, uh, we showed that we have that capability, and I think with the additions of Hoffman and Kisselvich this this summer, it only makes our team better. 
We are speaking with Vincent Trocek, uh, center for the Florida Panthers. Um, Ira, Vincent has ties to Pittsburgh just like you. Why don't you tell us about it? Vince, I met you at the uh, Pirate game against the Marlins, so I know that you, you it was interesting. You grew up in Pittsburgh, and then you moved to Detroit. Um, and as someone who grew up in Altoona, I know about the youth hockey programs in Pittsburgh, where, which are amazing, and also in Detroit. Talk about little about that, you know, everyone hears about European youth hockey, but tell what about the youth hockey in the Pittsburgh and Detroit areas that helped you become the player that you are today? Yeah, I think the Pittsburgh youth hockey nowadays is extremely great. It's taken off a lot since uh, Lemieux took over everything in, in the Penguins organization and now in the youth programs in Pittsburgh. Uh, I played for the Pittsburgh Predators and the Pittsburgh Hornets back then, whenever uh, the Hornets still existed before Lemieux turned it into Penn's Elite. And then uh, when I went over to Detroit when I was 12, 13, I played for Little Caesars for four years before I went to the OHL. And, um, the Illich family and, and the Murray family took me under their wing and, and helped me kind of get settled in in Detroit and uh, play for a great organization there, a great youth hockey organization there before I went on to the OHL. And what was it like when you made, last year you made the all-star team, I mean, you worked your whole life to get to that level and to where people were your peer, were the press and the media and everyone views you as one of the top players in hockey. So what was the feeling about, and you're not there yet in terms of at the top being, you know, but in terms of making that all-star game, what were the feelings that you had about that? It was just extremely humbling and exciting. And I mean, it was a great experience for me just to be able to go, um, go with players that are obviously at the top of our game um meant a lot to me and it was just extremely exciting experience obviously it was in la so uh, it was also a good time to be out there yeah and you wrote an article in the player tribune i, I saw i read about your your idol was Yarmir yager and as someone who grew up with uh, uh, penguin fans i followed him pretty closely what was it like Describe about playing with him for a year on the Panthers in terms of what was that to have your idol who yet you had it and get a chance to play with him for an entire year. Yeah, I think it might have been two or three years he was here. But, uh, yeah, I grew up in Pittsburgh watching him. Um, he won his second Stanley Cup the year I was born. He lived about a couple blocks from my house growing up. So uh, it was pretty surreal to make it to the NHL. 21 years old, playing with Yogs. That many years later, it was pretty incredible. Obviously, he's a hockey mind, one of the greatest of all time. To kind of learn from him was pretty special. We want to thank you so much for popping by. It's Vincent Trocek stopping by Ira on Sports. Catch him and all the Florida Panthers in action. It's going to be a great season. Vincent, I'm going to be there opening night. I think it's October 6th or the 8th versus the Blue Jackets. I can't wait. Get your tickets now. 954-835-PUCK. 954-835-PUCK. Vincent, thank you so much. Yep, thanks guys for having me. This is Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean are here as well. Um, we do have Bob Pennington, the head coach of Colgate Men's and Women's Tennis, on the line. Ira, do you want to say anything about Serena before we get to Bob, or you want to go right to Let's him? go right to Bob. Bob, welcome in, man. You're becoming a regular here on the show, and hopefully it's not just going to be I love it. controversy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, I to give give uh, give the Bob the works. So anyway, Bob, I was at the Open I, for I, as I said, eight sessions. I saw all the matches, and now the only match that people want to talk about is a match I wasn't at. <laughs> but I guess I guess can you educate the public a little bit about what went on in that match in terms of what in terms of the coaching and what goes on because I see it. it's it's funny is that the people I think that follow tennis a lot 
are saying, look, she was out of line. The ref maybe gave a bad call, but you don't act like that. You don't yell and scream. But then the non-tennis people are saying, oh, my gosh, it was a terrible call. It was awful. Serena had every right to yell and scream. So I think my I sort of follow the line is it was a bad call. Um, the first call on coaching was probably it's done, so they shouldn't have called it. And then uh, breaking the racket, you're definitely – and any any anybody's going to get called for that. And then maybe the ref should have waited a little bit longer to do the whole game penalty. But still, Serena just did not stop. And we know – we follow all sports. You're not – you're not – no one's – LeBron's not yelling at the referees for an hour and thinking he's not going to get you know thrown out of the game for it. So there's got to be penalties, and she got to realize that. But maybe give me your impression about what happened with that whole incident. Yeah, I mean, I was getting all these alerts on my phone. I was actually coaching um, an invitational at Bucknell, and my phone was blowing up, you know, with all with all my apps and people texting me. And but once I saw it, when I went back to the hotel, once I saw everything, I mean, I have mixed feelings on it because I'm a huge Serena fan. I think she is the greatest female player of all time by a landslide. Um, but when I saw everything, I mean, you're going to get coded every time. You know, juniors, college, or pro when you when you smash a racket like that. I mean, that's just obviously that's inexcusable. However, as far as the coaching, I think her coach Patrick Morlagu, he was he was pushing his hands out, meaning I think he thought he would you know to get her to the net. She claims she doesn't even take the encore coaching when it's offered because now they have coaches coming out there, and she claims, you know, she never even saw him doing that. So it seemed to me. A little ticky-tack of the umpire to call that um, at that time. I mean, I don't think I don't think that was impacting the match whatsoever. Him, him, him making that gesture. Um, as far as her getting coded a game, I know she called him a thief. I believe that was the exact. That's when he he gave her the co-conduct warning. And I don't know. I mean, I think at that point, when you're playing the U.S. Open final and regarded as obviously one of the biggest, most watched matches of the year. I mean, as the umpire at that point, I, I wonder at that point if you just, you know, kind of let her vent and let them play it out. I mean, to, to penalize her a game when the second set was 6-4, who knows what would have happened, but that was a pretty pretty critical point in the match. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely a shame because I feel bad for Osaka, who that was her first Grand Slam, and that, this is all we're talking about now. Yeah. Everybody's talking about so it. So, in the... And, and, it, in the coaching, so in, in college code, you coach college. Now, are you allowed to talk to your players during the match? Like, are you able to give hand signals, or is that something you, you can do? Yeah, we're out there um, sitting on the court. Actually, you can sit out there the entire match if you'd like. You can coach on the changeovers. You can, um, you know, you could be coaching constantly. Um, and, you know, some, some, some coaches are more active than others as far as, you know, when, they, when they're out there. But that's totally legal in college. And what about, but so in the WTA, which is the women's tour, they allow encore coaching, but, uh, but not for the Grand Slams. But in men's, there's no coaching allowed at all. Is that, that's correct? Is that correct? That is correct. No, that is correct. And oftentimes you see it like as an experiment in certain tournaments, but it never really sticks, it seems to. And I think Serena's point was she rarely, even when it's allowed in those other elective events, doesn't get an encore. Um, but... You know, was she out of line to slam a racket and to keep... I heard a good point by Patrick McEnroe the next day where he said Nate Dahl's been called for encore coaching multiple times, and he just goes and plays the next point. I mean, like, she really... I mean, it definitely continued throughout the second set, so I guess she could have done a better job definitely blocking that out, too. 
Yeah, it was 1-1. She got called for encore coaching, and she broke then and went up 3-1. And she was using the fans. When they, when they called her, it seems like the fans got on her side. And she says, everybody's against me. And I'm like, well, everybody's cheering for you all the time. I mean, it's not like you have 20,000 people on your side. Maybe the 10 friends and family of Osaka are against you, but you have the whole the whole stadium for you. So it's not like everyone's against you. Um, but anyway, let's. I guess I want to switch to the, to the men's side real fast, real quick. Um, Djokovic, in terms of... I mean, he sort of got lucky. He didn't have to play Feder. We thought he's going to have a tough draw, but uh, just it's amazing he's able to get his game back and now has won the last two majors. I know. I mean, this is this is pretty incredible because he had a two-year slump where he was switching coaches. He had an elbow injury. Now, I mean, in the last two or three months, you could argue like he's just he's dominating again. It's the point where people are talking about him catching Feder. He has fourteen Grand Slams, tied Sampras. He's right on Nadal's heels. I mean, he—I don't know. I mean, this is—I I think you have—I think you have the three greatest players of all time in this era, uh, which is pretty incredible. Um, He's—he looks amazing again. It's—it's it's scary. And did you have a chance to watch the? Did you stay up till two in the morning and watch the Nadal theme? Because I actually have run into so many people that said, "You know, I stayed up till two thirty, and I don't believe these people because they never stay up that late to watch anything, let alone tennis." <laughs> but anyway, I—I I was amazed. But did you did did you get a chance to watch that match? I, I watched I watched when they when they split sets I felt I the like, first set at six zero I knew that was a flu I knew that was a perfect set by team I knew Nadal would come back and once he won the second I just I had a feeling it was going to go long but not as long as it did but I think what was a shame is Nadal was just gassed I mean that was the quarter and I, mean, I thought that was I thought that was too bad I think we were all hoping for I and mean, Nadal Djokovic final would have been would have been great but he had nothing left for Del Potro and that's the problem with these best of the five set matches in the Heat. These guys have these guys are just depleted. Yeah, I mean, he played. He had a, f- a four set match before that lasted four hours. This match had five hours, and so he was just too tired to play. And it's a, it's a shame. Um, I so again, anyway, I really appreciate. It. And one last comment, I guess, in terms of Federer, uh, we were talking about how he was playing in this ridiculous humidity. I mean, you expect him to be back next year, and you, you're just going to write this loss off as just maybe the heat, or I mean, what do, where do you expect him? I mean, people say, oh, this is the end of end of Federer. Or do you expect him to have a good year next year? I, yeah, I mean, I've the one thing that I've read though is that people just don't think he's playing enough. Where yeah, he's doing the Grand Slams and certain Masters events, but you know, I do think that he is towards the end because you know you can't just do that schedule and expect to be sharp. I thought he had a strange loss in Wimbledon to Anderson in the quarters. This was the fourth round. Granted, he won the Australian this year, which which is great, but not playing the French. I just think I know he wants to play the Olympics coming up, but I know he wants to have a couple more years, but I do think he's winding down because, you know, the, he had two kind of weird losses to Andy. I mean, Millman, obviously, nobody's heard of. Um, and Anderson's a solid player, but those two losses really didn't make much sense for him, at least. Well, anyway, well, thanks a lot, Bob, for coming on on such short notice. I appreciate it. But I, it is amazing how after the first day of the NFL, everybody was talking about uh, Serena Williams. But that's great <laughs> for tennis. If anything, it brought if it brings people to follow tennis. And I know it was ever, but it's like you and I both love tennis so much. And if people are talking about it, then and it's not like so horrendous. I think it's good. It brought notoriety to Osaka, who's a great young player coming in. So I appreciate you coming on. I always love it, Ira. My pleasure.
Thanks, go Coach. Raiders tonight, by the way. <laughs> oh, Raider well, fan. Yeah, there we go. My team. Here we go. Can't wait to give uh, po- Coach Pennington some, some stuff this week when they get annihilated by the Rams. Coach Pennington, head coach, men's and women's uh, head coach at ten at uh, Colgate. Thank you so much for popping by Iron Sports. 744. This is Iron Sports. Before we move on, one thing that you brought up, and we'll, we'll get to that too. Um, you know, we were talking before we went on air, Ira, Sean, and myself. Ira, you think it's crazy that they try to play some of these matches on Sundays with the NFL just kicking off? There's got to be a better way to do this to get more eyes on it because people were watching during the week. It is amazing. This past week especially because I know a lot of people that are not tennis fans that ESPN just put a wall to wall. ESPN, ESPN2. And there really was nothing else to watch. Unless you want to watch some baseball games. There were really good baseball games on. There was fo- people were getting ready for football. They had fancy football drafts on. So they're you know what, doing their draft. And they're, everybody's in front of their computer doing the fancy football draft. And on the TV, they turn ESPN on just to catch the breaking news because something, you know, who knows what's going to, you know, mm-hmm. Le'Veon Bell's going to sign. Yeah. So they wanted to have the, the ESPN on and they're watching tennis. So it was great. But I think for the final for the women's men to women, there's nothing a matter with putting it on Tuesday or Wednesday. Have Monday Night Football Monday, put the finals on Tuesday night, they're up against nothing, and it would be exciting. I think they get great ratings, and it doesn't hurt. Have to give the guys an extra two days of rest, even better match. Like you said, it's been hot, and then also, you know, I'm in the entertainment business. You run promos during football. Hey, tomorrow night, the final. Yeah. Uh, you know, the U.S. They Open. They done it all during. They have two Monday Night exactly. Football games. When they yeah. first came out with this with the roof, the idea was that they were going to put on CBS, they were going to put it on Monday. They were going to play the men's final on Monday, but then when ESPN bought the contract, ESPN said, hey, we have Monday Night Football. We can't put tennis on Monday, so we're going to have to play it on Sunday because they're not showing football on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And that's what – but I really think they should put it on. And I just want to talk about Serena one more time. Sure. Is she has had this history of yelling at, at umpires. In, in 2009, against Kim Klister, she threatened an umpire to put her a ball down her throat and kill her. Um, and against Stoser, she called an umpire of a hater and said she's unattractive inside. She's yelled and screamed at umpires before and referees more than men. I mean, she, it's funny is that, she's not a, that she doesn't embrace her bad boy. Macaroni and Connors at least embrace being a bad boy. Or, I'm not saying, but she yells at umpires and she threatened. If you throw your racket down, it's de- I think people are looking. I mean, they thought that she's over this that she starts to yell there is a way she got a bad call against her and i think it was i do think the coaching call was that wasn't the penalty she should have realized she had she couldn't make it so then when she throws the racket it's going to be a point but i've seen players get point penalties before and just move on as bob bennington said but that's it's like if you know in basketball you have it's one tactical and you know the next one is a game you shut up i mean even if they're wrong i mean (laughs) not everyone but most smart people at the pit penn state game narduzzi the coach at Pitt, got a horrendous penalty that he got called for too many men on the field it's wasn't his fault. Penn State was subject. Penn State had like 20 people on the field. They had third 12 on the field, and Pitt got called with the, with the penalty. Then Narduzzi was trying to get the ref to come over. As he walked over, they called a 15 yard penalty for coming on the field, and he started to yell. But then he realized, if I keep yelling, I'm going to get thrown out of the out. game. We're going to get another penalty, and you just stop. And I see that in all sports. I watched Serena that she just would not stop, and it just kept going on. I don't think it was they would call him a thief or said whatever. It was just it just wouldn't. You can't just keep complaining for two three minutes. And the and this game was starting, and Osaka's waiting to return and she just keeps yelling at the ref and there's got to be a point where it's like gonna, you're going to lose a game for that. Especially, she's going to go down as the greatest woman ever probably so why not have a little class to it? Show you some humility. You know, that's just how I would do it. I guess not everybody's the same. We have uh, tied that score. It's now 7-7. Seven to seven. It was a about a 10-yard uh, rush from Isaiah Crowell to get them back on the board. Matt Stafford just threw a pick. Jets have the ball. 7-7. Seven, 7-7. Seven, seven seven, 238 left in the first. Let's switch gears, guys. Golf is going on. BMW Championships. Tiger and Rory. You boy is both looking good, I. 
Well, it was people turn on the golf today and they're like, what's golf doing on? What's Tiger doing on? Well, it was rained out from yesterday, so they had to play today early in the morning. They I think they put up everybody at the same time. It's the it's the next to last tournament. So seventy people started here, thirty people make it to the tour championships. Tiger had a sixty two the first has one of the best rounds. He finished at minus seventeen for fifth place. He was only two strokes off today. Like there was a point this morning where you thought he might be able to, to steal this uh, this tournament. But in the last events, he's had fourth in the quick and loan, sixth in the British Open in the British Open, two in the PGA Championship, six in the BMW. So he's got a lot of top tens. Um, he's playing really well. Rory finished uh, in fourth place at minus eighteen, and Justin Rose became the number one golfer in the world Crazy. today. Um, but it was interesting. He had a par putt. In the in the it hit a, an easy par putt at the 18th hole, he missed it for a bogey. Then he went to uh, the playoff hole and he had another easy par putt that he missed. And Keegan Bradley uh, parted, so Keegan Bradley Bradley won with two pars and uh, was able to win for his first time in five years. And it was interesting. I learned about him is that his mentor is Michael Jordan. I didn't know that either. I saw that today. Yeah, and so Michael Jordan's been calling him, giving him encouragement. He plays golf with him all the time. I mean, if you're really going to have someone as your mentor about how to get tough, I mean, have Michael Jordan. You know, well, better they're than both that. residents of Jupiter and they both are members of Bears Club right, which is yeah. the most well, you know besides maybe Seminole the most prestigious course in Palm Beach County I'm sure they met up out there Keegan gave him a little tip and you know seven years later they're, they're buddies and Michael's <laughs> calling him every time he needs help so two weeks from now we got the Tour Championship of Atlanta 30 golfers and surprisingly Jordan Spieth didn't qualify he was 31st so he's not going to play in it so it'll be exciting to see that the last tournament Tiger's playing great he could of course you know win this tournament it's no, no it would be no I mean he's playing great so he could do it and then you then next week is the Ryder Cup so we they only have two golf events left, so and then they, they're off till January. I mean, there's going to have the Phil Tiger thing, and there's some special things that you might watch in they'll t- some invitational tournaments. But this is the there's really just two more golf tournaments the rest of the whole year. Sean, is Tiger going to see number one in the world again? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I we always go back. Do I think he's going to win majors again? Yeah. Is he consistently? Can he get to number one? I think so. Can he consistently hold it down for the years upon years that he did? I don't think so. I think there's too many good golfers uh, right now playing this game where that's where you're even seeing the jumping. Jason Day taking over, Johnson taking over, Rory taking over, Speed taking over. Where these guys are holding it and they're all kind of staying in that top ten world, um, you know, competing against each other. Where Tiger was just dominant and there was always the number we two guy weeks yeah again. there was always a number two guy that was kind of battling for six months whether it was Duvall or Patrick uh, 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 Singh VJ Singh um, you Phil know, yeah Phil Phil's been there but but right now I just think the landscape of the game there's so many good players and that is a product of what Tiger did I mean Tiger being and making the game cool all these young guys wanted to play golf you know it's, it's it brought so many people to the game that now you're kind of seeing you know uh Kind of what he created, and it's it's a product of of how much attention he brought to the game. So, can he get back to number one? Yeah. Can he sustain it and 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 be there? I, I think he's going to be a top ten player for the next few years, and 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 that'll just continue to cycle with all the other greats. I, I were the stats you gave me. They, they're selling me. I mean, this guy's finishing in the top ten almost every week. I think he's number one again soon. Especially with, with Justin Rose to knock off. What do you think? Yeah, I think the way he's consistently playing great. And give him a – now he's going to take some time off. It's going to four months to start practicing. He's feeling – he was afraid to practice a lot to hurt. Yeah. Like now he can get back to his practice routines, coming back next year. I mean, can you imagine the players next year, the Masters next year? And finally, we talked about golf got it, right? They're, they're going to finish the golf season at the end of August. There's nothing going to be in September at all except for the President's Championship. It's torn me over. The way they, re, where they put the majors and the players and, and, and sort of made you 
April, May, June, July, March, April, May, June, and July. Um, it's going to be very exciting. I'm, I'm looking for great things next year for Tiger. Real quick, Ira, boxing. Canelo versus Triple G. I believe this is the third time they're going to face each other. What do you expect? Second. Second. What do you expect? Time. Well, they keep postponing it. It's hard to keep <laughs> Well, they were supposed to. It, it, it was, it's, they've been postponing so many times, I guess you could count. But the first one was a draw. <laughs> it was uh, Triple G was up 115, 113 on one card. It was a draw, 114, 114 on another. And then um, Adelaide Bird, who has always had bad decisions. Oh um, I, I, Serena would be yelling at her for this. <laughs> um, it was awful, one, 118, awful. 110 to Canela, which no one saw. And ESPN no and HBO both had it 116, 112, Triple G. Yeah. He is a very, very slight favorite in this fight. Yeah. Um, I think Triple G is going to win. I think he I think he won. I, I, I was more of the 116, 112 camp in terms of how he won the first fight. Yeah. Um, I think he has a lot of – he's going to have extra um, – um, I'd say higher emotions with this fight because it's been canceled so many times because Camella failed his drug test and also Canella even after losing 150-50 or not losing but Canella was not giving the share of the money I mean Canella's still making more money from this fight than Triple G is mm-hmm. making yeah. and Triple G's a champion um, so I, I but it's going to be a great fight it's Saturday night there's not going to be a lot of great uh, it'll end um, the college football games TCU Ohio State will end around 11 the fights will start at 12 so it's going to work out great Sean who are you taking? I'll take Triple G. I mean, I thought he outmatched uh, Canelo in the first fight. Uh, I thought it was uh, close in the first few rounds. Canelo's defense really surprised me uh, in the first fight, but I just think Triple G's the the, the better class fighter. Uh, just so many storylines to this, you know, with the the failed drug test. Uh, you know how how no one saw uh, the card coming out. That as Ira said, was it one eighteen one ten? I think was it was. Um, you know, which was insane. I remember the outrage while we we're sitting uh, at Duffy's watching this. Um, but even still, I mean, these guys have known each other since they were kids i mean they were like street fighters together trained together uh so to get to this point now and it seems to be there's like a true hatred uh between two of them uh canelo's gonna want to you know shake the the labels of um he's a he's an abuser of performance enhancing drugs triple g's gonna say hey i was robbed of being undefeated and I had this draw so um i'll take tri- uh, triple g slightly uh but i but i do think uh triple g outmatches you them. make a great point sean and, that, and that's what i like about this these guys don't like each other i think one of our problems in sports we saw floyd mayweather and conor mcgregor when oh, they, they were like yelling at each, each other. other. Yeah. I mean, they were like, you know, Floyd has a statue of Connor in his house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and you watch it. You watch LeBron yeah. play Kevin Durant and they're getting around. I mean, you're not going to see these guys hanging out. Like, no. I don't think they, they don't like each other. They and I think that is fun in sports sometimes yeah. now. I mean, it's, I know it's so it's, it's rarer now than it used to be, but actually two guys who don't like each other in their boxing. And it, yeah, and exactly when it's a boxing match, when they get to punch each other <laughs> in the face. You know, it's not, it's not like, okay, it's a basketball game and I can hard foul you or something. It's no, these guys hate each other and they get to put gloves on and punch that other guy in the face. So it's going to be exciting. Definitely tune in. And we should have Boom Boom Mancini on next week awesome. uh, to comment on the fight. So at least we'll have a good ins- insight analysis about what happened. All I want in boxing matches is when the judges don't take it into their own hands. As long as we get a clear winner and there's no controversy, I'll take it. 7.55, Ira on sports, 95.9, true oldies channel, Jets and Lions still tied seven apiece, end of the first quarter. We're going to go over, guys. It's a action-packed show, Shocker. and we've got yeah, plenty of football to talk about still. <laughs> um, we won't get to all this, but let's get through as much as we can. A lot of people I talked to yesterday, not the biggest football fans. Everyone's watching f- football week one. It's casual fans. Man, like these guys don't look good. This team looks bad. First of all, you can't take anything with one week. And second of all, the games are sloppy the first week. Granted, the refs are not doing the, the best job they've ever done, but it, offensive lines are coming together. People are just not clicking on all cylinders. This is their first real action in a year for most of these guys. Talk about a rough game. Pittsburgh and the Browns. Uh, Ira... I don't even want to say rough from that standpoint. I mean, it, it was defensive 
definitely. Miles Garrett looked like every bit of, of a number one overall pick. Um, your boy Connor came in and kind of f- picked up right where Le'Veon left off. Antonio Brown had a just dazzling touchdown against Denzel Ward, who played great the whole game. But you guys, it, it was a struggle, and we have our first tie week one. I think it might, might be the first time... I mean, I try to find the stat, but if one team has five turnovers and the other team has zero turnovers and the team with five turnovers is winning the game, I, it has to be the only time I could imagine. I'm like, at what point I said, can, has a team ever won with, with a 5-0 turnover? The Steelers uh, played sloppy. Ben, who, you know, I'm the biggest Ben fan, he had some terrible picks. Yeah. And it was just, and a lot of it's a couple of times that the ball's wet, but he did not have his best game. He did not have his worst. He had a terrible, he's one of the worst games he's ever had. Um, James Conner came in. You can see the offensive line really, really took those comments and I, I what happened yeah. what I predicted is because the offensive line is like look this is we're doing it we're getting these holes for Levy and Bell we're the ones creating the holes and we can create these holes for anybody and we love James Conner and then I think what Levy and Bell's agent said that James Conner isn't tough enough and here's a person who survived uh, three cancer, years ago cancer uh that is cancer is such that he had to give up his full football career was was there was Thought, th- thought that it not it was going to not play football but yeah. die yeah, and lost a hundred pounds yep. and and the Steelers were around him he played for Pitt so he was getting the there the treatment at the same facilities they train at the same yep. PNC health facility so every all these players know who James Conner is they knew when he was at caught with a Pitt and I lay like him he's yeah. very popular and you could see the offensive line playing great um, and it was just there and the Steelers are up twenty one seven and they blow a tw- in fourth quarter and blow a twenty one seven lead yeah. and Conner fumbled the ball which was bad Ben had intercepted. Reception. The deep, it was just oh terrible ending, and then the missed field goals at the end of the game. Yeah. I mean, the Steelers <laughs> had a chance to win, which they normally do, but it was a messy field, and it was just one of those games where I cannot believe it was a tie. But whatever, it, it's it seems like we get a tie every year now. Yeah, Not week crazy. one, but but we have been getting like like one a year. That just made it interesting. Um, Sean, what's your take on this game? I know, I know you love Denzel Ward. Well, uh, well, I think I think there's a few things that you could take out of this. Is that Miles Garrett, number one, that was the right pick last year. I mean, absolutely, he phenomenal was a beast. beast. Only Two's, one better player on defense yesterday. Yeah, Khalil yeah, Mack. Exactly. I mean, he's he was my pick to win Defensive Player of the Year. I think that uh, that's kind of crazy, you know, saying that about a Browns player. But I think he is all of of everything that anybody ever said about that kid. I mean, he is an absolute monster. Um, Denzel Ward, a lot of pushback on that pick they should have picked Bradley Chubb well guess what he blanketed uh, um, Brown pretty well had two picks uh, even though Ben didn't have a great game uh, even the Antonio Brown touchdown I mean Denzel Ward was all over him I mean unbelievable catch I mean he was all over him. you, you could have been, had Rod Woodson and Deion Sanders double teaming him on that, better that coverage catch on this, that so yeah. so I take this as you know is what quarterback could play worse you know Ben even though he threw for over 300 yards three interceptions lost two fumbles Tyrod Taylor was 15 of 40 15 of 40 for 187 yards. Uh, 97 yards, I apologize. Uh, did throw the one nice touchdown uh, to, to um, uh, Josh Flash Gordon, but I think this is more indicative of what Cleveland's trying to build on defense, um, you know, and, and how they're building through the draft, getting free agents in. Jarvis Landry looked like a man possessed, what, seven catches, 100 and, uh, 106 yards. Yeah, the offense yards. went through Jarvis. Look, exactly, and looked, looked phenomenal there. So, um, you know, as I don't want to say it's a changing of the guard, but Cleveland is a team that, if you look at it with the young players that they have, with the free agents, they're no they, longer an AFC North. They're corner. not a laughing stock of the league. Let's say that they're not the laughing stock of the league. They have a better record than the Cowboys for the first time since this is the best start <laughs> in Cleveland Browns uh, since 2004. This is the best start they've had since 2004. They're turning it around. It's not a win, but it's a tie, baby. Uh, let's talk about what I just mentioned. Better record than the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, and uh, Iro, <laughs> Sean can definitely comment on this in a moment. Him being the Cowboys fan, but that would, this was an ugly game too. 
Yeah. I, I mean, definitely, you could see Jerry Jones' eyes rolling in back the back of his head watching Dak Prescott. Ira, what do you think about Dallas really struggling with Carolina? Uh, surprise their offense. I mean, I think the question with Dak Prescott is, is he going to be two years ago Dak Prescott or last yeah. year's Dak Prescott? And he was looking more like last year's. And I was like, and <laughs> Cowboys have had problems with their offensive line. And uh, it looks that they're off. I, I'm more surprised their offense did not get going. I mean, yeah. there, there was a concern with Elliott being out. There was inconsistency because he was suspended. Was he going to play or not? But they knew he was playing. He was playing game one and he didn't go. He didn't get off. He didn't. He, it was it was a really poor offensive performance. Um, I re- you know, I'm not, Sean, they're no slouches, Carolina on defense. No. And, and they showed that yesterday, but still, I, you can't be happy with your team's performance. No, and, 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 and we could put it on deck. He had the one miss down the seam to the tight end that uh, Blake Jarwin, that was, I mean, he was wide open. I know he had a scramble left, um, so it was kind of a tough throw, but still, you got to put it up. He threw it at the receivers uh, at, the, at, at Blake Jarwin's ankles. You know, if he just puts it over the top, he beats the safety. Blake Jarwin's running down the seam for a 60-yard touchdown. Uh, my biggest concern is kind of what? an ex-Cowboy said, Troy Aikman brought up, but what Des Bryant said, he said, our offense is predictable. I'm sitting here, yes, I'm a Cowboy fan. This is the same you know, uh, coaching staff that we've had for in place for a few years. But if I'm sitting at home and when we're lined up and I can call the plays before they happen, what do you think NFL defenses can do? What do you think that you know, Carolina sees before you know, the snap comes? So it's, it's, we just do. We have a very predictable offense. Um, you know, we do the Giants for the last decade. Exactly. So it's, it's to 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 me it's 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 we're not doing the personnel that we've put in place any favors by the offense that we're trying to run. You're putting Dak in bad positions. Uh, you know, we we only attempted one pass over 20 yards, uh, you know, in this first game. That's play calling. You know, it's not even going through progressions. We're not having guys uh, stretch the field. And when Deontay Thompson, you know, a journeyman receiver, is the guy that you're looking to on your fourth, third, and 17 on, on you know, uh, even to end the game. I mean, it was third and whatever, and that's, the, that's your go-to receiver. So, uh, I thought we needed to get Gallup more involved, and, and that was the thing. They were loading the box. They were stopping the run, uh, and we just didn't establish the pass whatsoever. And I think that starts more with the play calling than the poor offensive line play and, and even the, the, the poor play and the poor throws that Dak had. I think, it, I think it comes down to play calling, get some slants going, get the ball moving, opening up the lanes for Zeke. Uh, but if, if we don't continue to do that and we keep calling bad plays, I mean, it's going to be a long season. We have uh, Sam Darnold's first lead of his career as the Jets kick a field goal 10-7. to going to be that score 11.58 to go in the second and Matt Stafford now two for eight with two interceptions just got picked <laughs> off again on an attempt to Kenny Galladay Matt Stafford this guy he's, he's just he's the new Brett Favre without the wins and skill yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I brought up the Giants and this is a you know I think a lot of Giants fans are getting ready to burn their jerseys today oh, it, it's one of those things this was the best defense in the league last year in the Jaguars yeah. we held our own we're not a good team Eric Flowers is the worst tackle in the league and it shows on every play. Um, I, I, if you're a Giants fan today, are you mad with this loss? It, it, the game was closer than – I mean, it, it looked a little closer on paper than it actually was. But the Giants held in there. The defense looked good, and we just couldn't quite make plays when we needed to. What's your take on Giants-Jags? There is interesting. I, the jersey sales of the I think the two best jerseys in the league now are Barkley and Beckham, and they're both yeah. on the Giants. And if you're a New York team, they're saying we need stars. Well, they got their stars on the team. And it, it is interesting is that as the game was going on, you could look at those two guys, and Barkley was bottled up most of the game. I mean, he at one point he had 17 carries for 38 yards, yeah. Yeah. and then he gets a 68 yard touchdown run, and that's what they're gonna, you're going to get out of Barkley. I mean, yeah. he's strong enough to break the line, and he's going to make a big play. And Beckham's going to make big plays. They throw it to him 11, and I think he had like 15. Times 
target. So, I mean, they're going to keep throwing it to him, and Beckham's going to make a big play. So, I think if you're a Giant fan, you're saying, let's just stay in these games and let Barkley, and, and we're not going to get nervous as the game goes on. And one of these guys is going to, we have now have playmakers on our team, and they didn't really have playmakers before. And so, it'll be interesting from those two positions and playmakers from your running back position and your wide receiver position. No, you're absolutely right, I. And, and that's the thing. I think it will be a little bit of a boomer bust thing. You know, they're going to have to wait on that Odell Beckham 13 yard slant across the middle that he takes for 80. It, you know, it's going to be things like that. Sean, I was waiting for you to come in and just immediately pound me today with, <laughs> with you know, Barkley's stats are inflated because yeah. they, they were. Ira just brought it up. Yeah. If, if you take away that one run, he didn't have a good game. Yeah. Um, but you look at it on paper and, and the body works good. Ira, you're pretty, li- I mean, uh, Sean, you're pretty liberal when it comes to not trashing the Giants in this scenario. How do you think they looked against the Jags? You know, I. I I think they didn't look half bad considering how poorly their offensive line played and how poorly I felt Eli played. I mean, he had a he few bad. he had a few bad throws. Uh, he missed Odell a number of times. I mean, there was one touchdown uh, that he overthrew Beckham and by like a wide margin. Yes, um, but it comes down to the offensive line, and and that's where the head scratcher of the pick of Barkley came in because it's okay, we get it, it's win now. But at the end of the day, you have the chance to 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 get a franchise quarterback, a Sam Darnold, who looks amazing against the Detroit Lions so far. Just joking. But uh, you, you have <laughs> He's a, winning. But you have a guy with Saquon Barkley where can you maximize his talents with this offensive line? And in my opinion, it's no. You're going to get that break and that big run because he has those capabilities. But when you break down 17 for 38 without that 68-yard touchdown, you're talking two yards of carry and you're wasting this guy's talent where you could have kind of hit the reset button, went in with the same team you had last year with, you know, Solder coming in, um, you know, Gallman even didn't play that bad last year. And now you have a franchise quarterback that can not take the lumps behind this offensive line, let Eli groom him maybe for a year. And now you're going in next year with a guy that sat for a year behind a borderline Hall of Fame, two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback, and you're off to the races and not having a full-on rebuild. If Eli can't do it this year and next year now you're going to look for a quarterback, you've kind of set yourself back. Not too many. I mean, Adrian Peterson, how many Super Bowls does he have? I mean, the answer is zero. zero. So, right. so you bring up that point all the time and you were very against the, the Barkley pick until you got him and now you get to see this but at the end of the day I was really surprised with how well they stayed in the game I know Fournette going down doesn't really help the Jags offense but um, I guess you know it, it, this is what it's going to be really it's boomer impre- bust plays for the Giants offense the Giants secondary looked good Collins J- Jenkins had good games we got a decent amount of pressure on Bortles uh, so uh, I'll take that as the win from this game yeah. uh, and, you know you're going against a former t- they're just in the AFC championship yeah. game you know they were a step away from the Super Bowl and they were the best defense of the league I like to see more of using um, Barkley and Beckham in a way. I know Barkley, they had six targets. I was surprised when I saw six targets because Penn State used him. That's where he got a lot of his big plays. Where when they were bat- when they were holding the line and putting t- eleven men in the box. Their screen passes, little down ten yard passes down. I did they six targets, but it wasn't look like they got Barkley involved. But I think using those guys, confusing the defenses, I didn't see that, and that's maybe because Barkley hasn't hasn't. There was no preseason practice, so he didn't really yeah. wasn't yeah. there. I like as the season goes on, I want to see more catches from. I like to see like seven catches for a hundred. Have a Kamara game if you want to. You know, Kamara for New Orleans had one hundred and twenty yards receiving. I would like to see more receiving yards out of him. Let's uh, let's try to go through these quick guys. Just a couple of. Uh, our quick questions through one week of football. Ira, we could start with you. Who's your best performance of the weekend, team or player? I think it would. It, well, first of all, Kamara for players. Unbelievable. I watched the game. It was right next to the Steeler game. I, I, he 
I didn't draft my fantasy. I had him last year. He's amazing. He's unstoppable. He is so big. He's so fast and tremendous. And he, in space, they, he just he can score. He's he's a great player. Um, disappointing was and Breeze had a great game. Disappointing is the Saints defense. Oh it's back God. to being horrendous. And then that's what exactly. And then what I'm most excited about is how great Tampa Bay's offense was. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, they were it was 48 points. I mean, they had 30 points at halftime. They were scoring at will. Tampa Bay looked uh, tremendous. I mean, talk about talk about Florida. The college programs in Florida are doing poorly, but Jacksonville, Miami, and Tampa Bay look like All they're on, on yeah. the way up. So it's, it's, it's what you just said, though, Ira. I don't know if this offense is good or if New Orleans is just back to being the New Orleans of 2016, 2015, where they can't stop anybody. They were a top 10 defense last year, and they went to the championship game. You know, this year, if they're going to be like this again, and where Drew Brees has to score 40 points a game, they're not going to win that much. No. Sean, big, best performance. Uh, two guys, same game. Khalil Mack is a monster. Okay, Khalil Mack is an absolute monster. I think what he have two two sacks, an interception, a forced fumble, and the recovery, uh, and a touchdown in the first half. I mean, it, it was just and and the craziest part about his performance was that he had nine days of practice. He sat out. He was on a snap count. He sat out everything. He sat out OTAs. I mean, he he wasn't there for training camp. Nine days, picks up the playbook. I know it's it's kind of just put your head down and go, but there's still some scheming, uh, especially when you know Aaron Rodgers on the side of the ball. I know he was kind of out for most of the first half, but still, I mean, there, there's still a game plan in place that he didn't get a lot of time to, to go over. Kind of shows the type of pro and the preparation that this guy did when he wasn't with the team in Oakland uh, and, and taking care of his body and himself. Even though I thought he looked like a little bit of out of shape because he he's had no offseason uh, you know help from from a team and Aaron Rodgers, I mean Aaron Rodgers has gone out and just said hey, I'm the best quarterback. It's not up for debate. Stop talking about it. What three touchdowns? He was and smiling. Tw- They're down two two scores at six minutes left. <laughs> he's smiling on the sideline. And, just and, gave me the ball twice. And and, and, and the craziest part is when he was going off with the knee injury, it looked like he had tears in his eye. It looked as if same I thought thing it was when ACL Wentz, was when, popped. When, that, that's what it was. When when you get carted off and you're a quarterback, and he had that kind of tear in his eye, and I said, okay, this is not good. You know, I've torn my ACL. You know, when you do something to your knee, and it's not a happy feeling, and especially to lose him last year in the way that they did. That's why it was kind of oh my god, we just lost the best player in the league two years in a row the NFL can't be happy but I mean he comes back he's playing on one leg and he takes the game over Aaron Rodgers uh real quick Ira what team because we love snap reactions in the NFL which team's in the most trouble after week one the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> <laughs> but that game, because I think people were not having high expectations for them and I, that game was on too and Baltimore is not a very good team I mean they made Joe Flacco they play defense though but Buffalo can't do anything right now. Buffalo is just. No, I mean, Baltimore plays defense. Baltimore plays defense, yeah. but Baltimore does not. I mean, they don't have they a don't great score offense 47 at 47 points. And Flacco <laughs> looked like Joe Montana back there. And it was, he looked tremendous. I, it was just, and I'm scared, like, for the as a Dolphin. Dolphins have now two easy wins because I don't see Buffalo winning. I mean, yeah. they, they have got they have problems. The quarterback and, and I feel bad for Josh Allen because he's going to come in. This team's going to be terrible. They're going to go zero and sixteen. Um, they they really are a problem team, and that team does not look like they might. They're going to be battled to win a game. They are probably the most devoid of talent at every single position of any team in the league. You could they probably have the worst offensive line. They probably have the worst receiving core. They probably have the worst quarterback. <laughs> like every single category, they're probably the worst. And they the were in the playoffs last year. Yeah, well, Tyrod Taylor. It, it, Something's to be said about him. Tyrod Taylor, for what it's worth, he moves the ball down the field and doesn't turn it over, which is not the case with uh, our boy um, Nathan uh, Peterson, Peterman, uh, who just absolutely can't figure it out. Sean, uh, what team's in the biggest trouble? I kind of want to pick two, only because I think 
500 yards for the Saints defense, a team that, you know, was was one of the better defenses in the league last year. Yeah. Kind of carried them along with that run game. But I'll go back to the first game of the year uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. I mean, they can't, they can't do anything offensively if it's not Julio Jones. Matt Ryan does not look like the same player that won the MVP two years ago. Absolutely no red zone defense. Same exact uh, ending that we saw them lose to the Eagles last year um, with a jump ball in the end zone to Julio that didn't convert. Um, if I'm if if I'm the Atlanta Falcons right now, I'm looking at it and say what what are we doing wrong in the red zone because that's where their problems are. Uh, and then unless Matty Ice can turn it around, and, and I don't think Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator there, is doing any favors for those guys. I, I just think he's done a, a terrible job uh, since taking over since Shanahan left, and you're seeing the results. Let's talk about a lot of injuries yesterday, guys. A lot of significant injuries. Ira, who's the most significant injury from the weekend? Uh, Fuller for Tennessee. Tennessee. He got hurt. I, but I just saw where Baldwin's out. For Seattle, yeah. yeah. The wide receiver. Yeah, I don't know how long Baldwin's going to be. This is his other knee. Yeah, so that's going to be to lose Seattle, to lose someone like that. I, we don't know how oh, bad. Delaney the, Walker, you mean the tight end. Yeah, yeah, Delaney yeah. Walker. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I think Mariota, uh, we don't know how serious that injury is, I mean, with his elbow. I mean, it's a, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure about that. If certainly any quarterback injury of a star team like that is going to be bad, but uh, that would be. And of course, the worst injury would be Le'Veon Bell not playing, but James <laughs> Conner played great, and that's what I'm saying. People, I mean, it was the number one topic all week, but I knew James Conner could come in and do that. I mean, I have my fantasy team. I drafted him late, and he was great for me. You know, there was a stat released today. Um, I don't remember where I heard it, but last year, the offensive line for Pittsburgh was the second best in the league at avoiding contact before the line of scrimmage. Now, you know, you always hear about your, the running back getting credit for after first touch. This is saying we keep first touches longer than happening than anybody else. So there is a lot of credit to what they're saying on that front line. And maybe Connor is the I mean, at this point, if Connor goes out and has one or two more games like this, you don't need Bell. I'm not going to lock up a tenth of my salary on this guy if that happens. Sean, uh, most significant injury. I mean, Delaney Worker going down, that's that's obviously the number one target uh, outside of Corey Davis uh, for Mariota. But even when you look at uh, target share, I mean, Delaney Worker is one of the most targeted tight ends in the league. But I'm going to go with Greg Olson. Um, the, 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 the Les He's Frank, an emotional captain. The, the, the Les Frank on the foot. One, the emotional captain. Two, I mean, anytime Cam ever gets in uh, uh, you know, a rut, he looks, uh, you know, number 82. He just keep throwing it to, to Greg Olson. He, he, he loves Greg Olson. And Devis Funchess, I really don't think, is, 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 is a star. Star. Um, that was another reason why, too, when you look at that Cowboys-Panthers game, you know, Carolina wasn't really doing much because that number one target is Greg Olson. This is an injury that kept him out for a long part of last year, and it's the same foot. It seems to be the same injury. He was in a walking boot on the field before the game was even over, so expect Greg Olson to be out for a few weeks. Uh, speaking of injuries, Ira, who's your fantasy waiver claim this week? Look, everybody knew this New Orleans situation is crazy because I want, I like Cameron Meredith. Like you're like, who's going to get some? Who's going to get the touches? And Kamara's there, and you have Michael Thomas, and you're like, other people have got to catch the ball. Drew Brees is going to score, throw the ball fifty times a game, and it was hard to figure out who else is going to get in there. It's always very difficult. And Ted Ginn actually had an okay game, and, I, I, and he came on claim in our league. And I was thinking about Ginn earlier, so on my league, he's like the number one guy that's still out there to try to to, to take, but. We got to figure out because now with the defense, how bad New Orleans is. I mean, when you look at fantasy, you're like, you want a team with a bad that's defense. Trailing, yeah. yeah, that's because you're going to have especially for wide receivers because you're going to be throwing the ball, throwing the ball, throwing the ball. And so I, I think Ginn would be good on any team because he's probably better than a lot of your wide receivers that you have that are that you picked at the end of the draft. 
Sean, what waiver claim? I, I think it, I, I would pick Philip Dorsett. I mean, if you have Tom Brady throwing you the football, you got three more games without Edelman. He was targeted seven times, uh, caught all seven balls. I believe it was for uh, 66 yards and a touchdown. Biggest difference is, is that he's had another year of coaching with Bill Belichick, that staff, and he seemed to be a focal point in that offense. Uh, uh, Jeremy Hill's out for the year. Burkhead's still a little banged up. Sonny Michelle's not there. So those those. Little ding and dunk passes. Philip Dorsett was getting a lot of those uh, and converted into seven catches for sixty six and a touchdown. So, real quick, guys, tonight Rams at Oakland. Oakland's getting six points. Ira, who you got? I like Oakland in this game. I'm still not sold on the Rams. I'm I, and so I want to see. And also, boy, Monday Night Football in Oakland. It's going to be really loud. I, I, I like the. I like. I like getting when you get six points at home. I love home underdogs and football. Three points is usually great at home. Yes. Give me a. T- give me almost a touchdown, Sean. Who you like? I like the Rams, and and just for Oakland's sake, I mean they better have some sort of defensive performance against that high octane offense because the way Khalil Mack played, uh, you know, last night and and going into this game, I mean if 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 the Rams score points like they did last year, uh, the Twitter is going to explode even more than it did last night. We are out of time. I want to thank so much Vincent Trocheck, center all star from the Florida Panthers. Get your tickets now, 954-835-PUCK. Also, Bob Pennington, head coach of men's and women's tennis at Colgate. Sean LeGrega here as well. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.